Well, I've titled our lesson this morning, Accepted in the Beloved. Now, you may recall that in the last two lessons, we looked at the blessing of election and the blessing of predestination. And because of God's election of a people, because of his predestination of a people, the result of that is all of God's people are accepted in the beloved. That's what the apostle writes in verse 6. Here's why God's done everything he's done, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Wherein, in his matchless, eternal grace, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, if we're going to look at being accepted in the beloved, the first thing I believe we've got to look at is the beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Christ our Savior is the beloved. He's beloved of everybody that knows him. First of all, in the very beginning, he's loved by his Father as the only begotten Son. The Father loves His Son with an eternal, immeasurable love. He has been loved of the Father from all of eternity. In Proverbs 8, verse 30, the Savior talking about the time before creation when only the Father and the Son existed. And he said, at that time, He said, I was daily with my Father, and I was daily His delight. The Father has always found His delight in His Son. And the Father loves His Son so much that He determined to fill heaven with a people made just like His Son. The Father loved the Son so much that He trusted the salvation of all of His elect to His Son. The Father chose a people to save. Now how are they going to be saved? They're going to be born of sinful, dead people. How are they going to be saved? Somebody's got to come make them righteous. Somebody's got to come put their sin away. Somebody's got to come and suffer the death that they deserve. And the father loved the son so much, he trusted him to get the job done. The father loved the son so much, he entrusted all of his glory to his son. Now the father elected a people to save. And if all of those people are not saved, if every last one of them is not presented to the father, at the, end, at the end of time, when time is no more, and Scripture says the Son will stand before the Father and say, Father, here am I and the children which thou hast given me. If one of those children is missing, God Almighty will lose all of his glory. He won't lose just a little bit of it. You know, you think uh, about uh, taking a test. I remember different, uh, different tests. English was a difficult subject for me. And buddy, if I ever got a 99 on English test, I mean, I just rejoiced. 99% is not good enough. If he loses even one of an innumerable host, he loses all of his glory. And he loved his son so much, he still trusted in his son that he would not fail to save his people from their sin. The father loves the son so much, he's given everything into his hand. Everything the Father has, He's given to the Son. He loves the Son so much, He made Him the mediator of His eternal covenant of grace. The Father loves the Son so much, He made Him judge of all, of everything. The Father judged no man. All judgment is given to the Son. The Father loves the Son so much, He gave Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
all of the Father's loves in His Son. You see that all these ways that the Father loves the Son, all of His love is in His Son. Well, Christ the Savior is also beloved of His people. We love Him, don't we? If you know Christ, you believe Him, you love Him, and this is what you'll say, I do love Him. My love's not what I want to be, it's not what I should be, it's, it's so lukewarm and so fickle, but I love Him because He first loved me. That's why. We love Christ because of who he is. Now, I'm not just talking about what he's done for us. I'm talking about who he is. His glorious person. He's righteous. He's holy. He's altogether righteous. His, his glorious perfection. And he's altogether lovely. Isn't he? Altogether. Everything about him is lovely to his people. We love him because this holy, righteous one willingly was made sin for his people. He willingly suffered and died. He willingly took all the wrath, all the judgment of God for that sin so that he might redeem the souls of his people. Because there's a price on our head we could not pay. And Christ, God the Son, came and paid it for us. Oh, we love him, don't we? We love him. We love the Savior. He's the beloved. Because his mere presence comforts and calms our heart doesn't it his presence is all it takes just his presence it comforts our heart in the worst of times we love him he's our beloved because his word it's the word of life it's the word of comfort and it's the word of instruction to us we love him he's the beloved because he's the friend of sinners what a what a mystery that the Holy Son of God could be the friend of people like you and me. He's not just the friend of Abraham. He's the friend of all of his people. And listen, he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We love him because he's faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's shown us that time and time again. He'll never cast his people off in spite of our weak faith, in, in, in spite of our sin, in spite of our repeated sin. He'll not cast off his people because he's faithful. We love him because we can trust him. Oh, God's people love the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our beloved. And that means we love to hear his gospel, the gospel that tells us all about Christ. We love to worship him. We love to gather together with his people and worship him publicly, bowing at his feet. We love to worship him privately in our thoughts, just praise him and, and think on who he is and worship him. We love to sing his praises. I mean, what a savior that we have. And he's our beloved. Oh, how we love him. Now, I talked earlier about how the father loves the son. He loves him with an everlasting love. Everybody, you can see that. Everybody can understand that, can't you? How the Father would love the Son. Of course he loves him. He's perfect. He's glorious. He accomplished everything that the Father sent him to do. Now get a hold of this. The Father loves his people the very same way he loves his Son. With the very same eternal, immeasurable love. When the Father sees his people... You know what he sees? He sees his son. He sees his son in his glory and his perfection 
And that's why the, the Father accepts his people in the beloved. It's all in Christ. The Father, when he looks at his people, he doesn't see poor little sinful old unacceptable us and Christ. So the Father grudgingly accepts us because the Son brought him in, you know. <laughs> Our daughter Holly, when she was growing up, like, like all girls, she had uh, a few boyfriends. And, uh, you know, when, when my daughter's brought home a boyfriend, there's a certain relationship between me and that boy. <laughs> there's some of them I knew and really liked before they were Holly's boyfriend. Then they are Holly's boyfriend. There's a different relationship here. And, oh, she had a boyfriend. Oh, I couldn't wait till this boy hit the bricks. But he's around a while. But every time he came in, I grudgingly accepted him into my home because he's with my daughter. I grudgingly accepted him. That's not the way the father accepts his people. Because when the father sees his people, he doesn't see us and Christ. All he sees is his son. And he's well pleased with his people because his son has made them perfect. He's made them just like his son. All he sees is his son and he accepts them with, with joy, with love. <laughs> See, by our Savior's work of obedience to the law, as the representative of his people, he's made his elect perfect. So they're accepted. Not acceptable. They're accepted. They've been accepted from all of eternity in Christ. Because he is our righteousness. By his work of redemption, by his blood on the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ has made his people to be without sin. He washed their sin away. He paid their debt in full and made them perfect. And the Father accepts them gladly because there's no reason for him not to. The Son's made them perfect. I mean, this thing of redemption is it's no small thing, is it? It's a miracle that by the obedience and by the sacrifice of Christ, he has made his people perfect so that the Father gladly accepts them. Oh, you think what our beloved has accomplished. He loved of his people. He loved of the Father and loved of all of his people, everybody that knows him. All right, that's the beloved. The second I want to look at what is it that Christ has done for his people? What is it that he's made them so that they're accepted of the Father? Well, first of all, God's elect are accepted of the Father as righteous. I don't even know if I should use that word as righteous. Because you know why the Father accepts his people as righteous? Because they are righteous. He's not pretending that they're righteous. He's not treating them as if they're righteous. He accepts them because they are righteous. That's what Christ made them to be, righteous. Christ our Savior made his people. They're sinful people. They're defiled with sin. They're, they're so guilty. They're, they're, they're born in sin. They're shaped in iniquity. All they can do, think, or say is sin. Yet he's made his people to be without sin. The all-seeing eye of Almighty God does not see sin in his people. Because it's not there. Now, how can that possibly be true? I mean, we're just talking about something that's 
so high and so far out there, only you know, great theologians and great minds can understand it. Here's how this is true. It's so simple. You know, if you think this is so hard to understand and it's so complicated, it can't be the gospel. The gospel's simple. The answer is Christ. <laughs> the answer to every question you ask about Scripture, about salvation, about righteousness, about holiness, about eternal life, it, the answer is always Christ. How can it possibly be true that a sinner has no sin? For he, God the Father, had made him sin for us. Him who knew no sin, that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him, in Christ, because of what Christ has done, made his people as righteous as God himself. Perfectly righteous. Christ our Savior was made what he was not. So he could make his people what they're not. He made them righteous. And this is no paper transaction. Brother Walter Groover um, used to say this is not diplomatic immunity. It's not, well, you're guilty, but we're going to let you go because you got you know, this diplomatic immunity. God did not act like this is true. He did not act like his son was made sin. He does not act like his people are, are made righteous, even though they're not. No, the only reason the father slaughtered his son. The only reason the father himself thrust the sword of justice into his fellow, into his son, is his son was made guilty. It would have been unjust for the father to put an innocent man to death, wouldn't it? And everything God does must be just and right. The father made this thing right by transferring the sin of his people to his son. Even though he never committed any sin, the Father made him guilty of that sin. Our Savior felt the guilt of it and the shame of it, and he paid for that sin with his own life's blood and put it away. By his sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ made his people righteous, and the Father always accepts perfect righteousness. Now again, the Father is not acting like this is true. He's not acting like his people are righteous even though they're not. See, it wouldn't be just for the Father to accept these sinners, would it? If they're still in their sin. That wouldn't be just. And everything God does must be just. He accepts his people because they are righteous. Because they are perfect. That's what Christ has made them. In Leviticus 22, verse 21, it says, It shall be perfect to be accepted. You want to be accepted of God? Be perfect. How's that possible? only in Christ, in the beloved. It must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. You want to be without blemish, without spot? The only way that's possible is to be in Christ. He's the Lamb of God without blemish and without spot. And he's made his people dislike him. So we're accepted in the beloved because they're righteous. Second, God's elect are accepted by the Father because they're holy. Again, you know why the Father accepts his people as holy? Because they are. The Savior has made his people, verse, verse 4 says, he's made them to be holy and without blame before him in love. Christ the Savior has made his people holy. He's made them without blame. Now there's two reasons for that. God's elect are holy, first of all, because of the sacrifice of Christ. The blood of Christ washed away the sin of his people. 
He made them to be spotless. He made them to be without any blemish, without any trace of sin. But in the sacrifice of Christ, there's a double cure. There's not only a pay, payment for sin, there's a double cure. And we have a picture of that in the death of our Savior. Remember the, the Jews came and told Pilate now, you know, we really wanted this crucifixion. We wanted this thing, but boy, this, this sure is making our holy day look bad. This is going to defy. Can you just break their legs and, and kill them and get over with so we don't have this ugliness going on, you know, in our, on our high holy day? And Pilate sent a Roman soldier to break their legs so they die quicker. And he came to the Savior, and he was surprised. He'd already given up the ghost. But out of pure meanness, that Roman soldier took his spear and thrust it into the side of the Savior. And John said, this is not a story. I saw it happen. Out flowed blood and water. That's the double cure. The sacrifice of Christ gave us blood. Blood to atone for sin. Blood to pay for sin. And water to wash us and make us holy. The sacrifice of Christ accomplished both. And that means the salvation in Christ is doubly sure. Doubly. Sin's put away and we're made holy. I, I just love to think about that. Something that's double sure. That just gives me such assurance. So we're made holy because the blood of Christ washed away our sin. But there needs to be another work. Sin's been paid for. But if we're going to be holy, we've got to be made holy in the new birth. We've got to be given a holy nature. If Christ has paid for our sin and said, all right now, now you keep yourself clean and holy from here on out, we'd sin and mess it up all over again, wouldn't we? So there's got to be a new nature, a holy nature that will never sin and will never mar this thing again. See, God's elect, we've been, we've been washed in the blood of Christ, haven't we? But we've got a sin nature that can't do anything but sin. And that nature can't change. We can't just determine we're going to start straightening up and not sin anymore. Impossible. Because all we can do is sin. So God sends his spirit by the preaching of the word. He takes this word that's being preached, that's holy, that's perfect. And he uses that holy seed to plant that in the hearts of God's people and give them a new birth. And that seed, the seed of the word of God, can only produce a nature like itself that's perfect and holy and cannot sin. That makes God's people partakers of the divine nature. A nature that can never sin, that's holy. And the Father gladly accepts holiness. Always. It's the only thing he can accept. You think what a blessing this is. That the Lord Jesus Christ would make people like you and me holy. Holy. Oh, he's the beloved, isn't he? Then God's elect are also accepted by the Father because they're redeemed. They're debt free. The Father could never accept rebels who've rebelled against him and still have a price on their head. The law has a price on our head. And God's holy justice will never, never allow a sinner, will never allow sin to go unpaid. It can't do it. It can't. God's just. He's holy. He can never allow that debtor to be at peace in his presence. The debt must be paid, and we can't pay it. 
Even our attempts to pay the, the debt, you know what that does? It doesn't pay the debt down a little bit. It makes it grow. Our attempts at righteousness make our sin debt grow. Our attempts at righteousness are offensive to the Father. Because when we attempt to earn a righteousness ourselves, when we attempt to, to pay down this debt ourselves, it's saying, I don't need Christ to do it all. Now remember, the Lord Jesus Christ is the beloved of his Father. You insult his Son. You say you don't need his Son. You and the Father aren't friends. Impossible. Can't be friends anymore. But we can't pay the debt. So what did the father do? He sent his son to pay the debt for him. And when he came to pay the debt, he didn't pull out his wallet and pay the debt. He didn't take all the gold and all the hills and all the mines that are his and take that and pay the debt. Because the debt can't be paid with silver and gold, can it? The son paid the sin debt of his people by sacrificing himself. By sacrificing everything that he is so that the Father would accept him. That's what verse 7 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The debt has been paid by the life glory, by the life blood of God's Son. Oh, what a blessing that is. All right, third. Now we looked at the beloved. We look at what, what Christ has made his people, why that they're accepted in the Father. Here's a third thing I want to look at, and I think this is very important. Why is the believer's acceptance with the Father sure? Now, there's no doubt about this. This is absolutely sure and certain. God's people are accepted in the beloved. Well, here's why that's sure. Because the Father can't change. He can't go back on his word. He can't change his mind and cast his people out. He can't say, oh, I never foresaw this sin coming. This is too much. I'm going to cast them out. He can't say, oh, this sin. Now, I sent my son to pay for sin, but this one's too much. I, I, the blood can't pay for that. He can't say that. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. No matter how vile we think it is, no matter how heinous we think it is, all sin is vile and heinous to God. It's all equally, it's all equally sinful to Him. The Father can't go back on His word. He can't cast out His people because His glory depends upon it. His glory depends upon it. When the Father determined to save a people, he wasn't saving the people because he said, well, I just want to be kind to somebody. The father determined to save a people to glorify his son, to glorify himself. That's why the father chose a people to save. And when he chose a people to save, he chose to glorify himself by saving the most wretched, the most vile, the most undeserving sinners. That's who he chose to save so that he would be exalted when they're saved so that he would be exalted when these vile sinners are made holy and righteous. And when he chose out people to save, he didn't just say, well, I'm going to choose out some people to save. I'll send my son. Eh, we'll see who accepts him. The father chose an exact number of sinners to save. And not just a number, he chose his people by name. By name. 
And he's going to get glory to himself for saving a people who could never save themselves. He's going to get glory by showing mercy to the worst sinners that he could find. Nobody else would save them and nobody else could. But God did. That's what he determined to do. And the father sent his son to redeem those people from their sin by his sacrifice for them as their substitute, by taking their place and dying the death that they deserve, by taking the wrath that that sin deserves. In the fullness of time, when it pleases God, he sends his spirit and comes and gives life and faith to those people through the preaching of the gospel. Somebody is, is bold enough and brave enough to declare Christ and Christ only, to have no agenda but for people to know Christ. To have no agenda but to glorify the Savior. And the Holy Spirit takes that preaching that tells sinners about Christ and he reveals Christ to their hearts. And he draws them to Christ irresistibly. Now don't, don't mistake this irresistible thing. He, he doesn't drag people, you know, by the hair, the head, and they just they come because he's dragging them against their will. No, he makes them willing. He makes them willing in the day of his power by revealing Christ to them. And they can't stay away. They come to him. They come to him. And the Spirit is going to keep those people. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to keep those people till the day that they die. He's going to keep them by his power and by the same grace that chose them, the same grace that called them, the same grace that revealed Christ to them is going to be the same grace that keeps them to the end. And at the end of time, when the Father wraps this thing up, the dead in Christ will rise. Those who are alive and remain will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And Scripture says that the angels are going to come and gather God's elect from the four corners of the world. They're going to meet Christ in the air. And at that time, Christ the Savior is going to stand before the Father and say, Father, I am the children that thou hast given me. Now they're all here. Not one of them is missing. Father, count them and see. Well, the Father counts. It's the right number of people. Father, call roll. Make sure every one of them's here. And the Father opens the Lamb's book of life and starts calling names. And every single time a name is called, somebody says here, they're all there, not one of them's missing. God didn't lose his glory, did he? God's glory won't even be tarnished. It won't even be, be tarnished. We, uh, Jay and I decorated our tree whenever we did a week or two ago, we, some, sometime. And on a, on our 25th wedding anniversary, I bought her this uh, the silver bell that hangs on our Christmas ornament, hangs on our Christmas tree. And we got out this year, she said, ugh, this doesn't look so good. This is tarnished. And she took whatever you've used, and, and man, that thing looks like new. <laughs> I'm just, wow. God's glory wasn't tarnished, and he had to shine it up again. It never was tarnished. Oh, his glory is going to be seen by all of creation in, in this way. Not only did the Father choose to save a people that didn't deserve it, that couldn't save themselves, he didn't lose one. Now I want to leave you to think about this statement. 
This is something good to think about this week. Almighty God tied his glory to saving sinners like you and me. Oh, he's the beloved, isn't he? All right, I hope the Lord blessed that to you.